Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. Uh, we are grateful that you've decided to share some of your evening with us. I am your host, Doris Hansen. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And we're here on Thursday nights to talk about polygamy. Whether it's biblical polygamy or Mormon polygamy or contemporary polygamy, that's what we want to talk about. First, I want to thank everyone at the Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Brigham City for their gracious invitation to, for me to share my story and our vision for a Shield and Refuge ministry. What a great time we had meeting new friends and speaking and talking with old friends. And we always thank God that He brings us together in His love and His grace. You know, God's purpose is always redemption for sinners. It is never polygamy for redemption. Last week, we had a caller who brought up the biblical polygamists Abraham, Jacob, David, and Solomon as proof that God commanded polygamy. He asked if I considered that these men were sinners because of their polygamy. You know, it really never ceases to amaze me why on earth anyone would use the examples of Solomon and David as an argument that God blessed polygamy. Solomon's polygamy greatly displeased God, and it says so very clearly in the passage. All they have to do is read a little further down in the chapter. And of course, David's polygamy led to sibling rape and adultery and murder. Now, was all of this sinful? Very, very much so. And as a footnote to our caller who called last week, I suggest that you read Deuteronomy 17:17, 17, 17, which I neglected to mention last week. And this is what it says. Neither shall he, the king, multiply wives to himself, that his heart not turn away. Now this prohibition was from God to the future kings of Israel, of which David and Solomon were both kings. It's, that passage is very clear, not to multiply wives to themselves. David and Solomon did. They broke God's command. And sin is doing anything that is against God's command. So yes, of course, they were sinning when they multiplied wives to themselves. We have a book called Is Polygamy Biblical? It's a booklet. It's not a very uh, big book, but it talks a lot about all that polygamy in the Bible that we were talking about last week. And we will give this to the caller last week absolutely free. We'll give it to any one of our viewers free. If you'll call us and leave us your mailing address, we'll send you this book and it answers many, many questions about Old Testament polygamy. You know, throughout the duration of this show these past seven years, a recurring theme of ours has been uncovering truths that have been intentionally hidden by LDS and polygamous leadership. And in discussing, discussing the inconsistencies of Mormonism with biblical Christianity, of which there are many, there's been an abundance of criticism of the show and of the hosts and of our guests. The reality is that our content 
has been based on truth and on Mormonism's own history quoted from Mormon sources. We also provide footnotes and references and sources supporting the topics that we've discussed. Tonight we're going to take a deep look at some of our past topics and attempt to provoke some of our viewers to courageously face reality and look at the facts and perhaps reach a level of personal honesty with the intention to accept the truth no matter what it is or no matter where it takes you. Many of our viewers are convinced that Mormonism is wrong, both polygamist and LDS, yet they refuse to leave their particular church. These are the viewers that we specifically would like to reach on tonight's show. The reality is that the Mormon system of control is what holds so many people hostage. Many people are fearful of investigating all sides of the issue, or they have too much pride to admit that they could possibly be wrong. We know that happens because every answer or argument that we receive from them is a prepared, canned response, almost word for word every time. They merely repeat what they've been taught, and that's indoctrination. Acts chapter 17, 11 reminds us that those whom God calls honorable or noble are those who search the scriptures every day to see if what they are learning is true. Jesus expects us to verify and follow the truth, not to accept anything without a thorough and personal investigation. Please keep in mind that when we use the word Mormonism, we are referring to all <coughs> believers in the teachings of Joseph Smith. Our guest tonight has been on our show several times in the past, and he always adds great insight to our discussions. He's a former Mormon and is now a committed Christian. I would like to introduce and welcome back to our show, Tyson Holbrook. Thanks, Doris. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here, and <coughs> it's, a, it's a good conversation, good discussion topic that we've chosen for tonight, I think. I agree. I agree it is. And, and, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about people that, uh, that uh, are closeted non-believers. And um, we've talked about that back and forth saying, you know, why, why would somebody choose to be a non-believer yet keep it concealed from those around them? And there's all kinds of reasons. In fact, I've lived those reasons before. I lived in uh, basically a pretended uh, church involvement for three years because my wife wanted me to because she wasn't ready yet for us to be open about our disbelief. Because that comes at a price. It comes at a big price, and it's a price that unfortunately a lot of times people pay. And so it's, it's, uh, it's something you need to ask yourself, you know, who inspires you in the world? People that are inspirational are people that have actually gone up and stood up and said, this is unacceptable. People like Martin Luther King, who have stood up, stood up and said, slavery is unacceptable. People that will stand and say what they believe are the people that actually inspire other people. And you might want to inspire yourself And they as give well. them the courage to speak up. If, so if one person does, it gives them a courage for someone else, too. Absolutely. It does do that. Yeah. In fact, you, the first time you were on our show, we were talking about this before the show, uh, right after the first, your first visit as a guest on our show, you were excommunicated. You were called in That's to be correct. excommunicated. That is correct, yes. That shows how much freedom of speech they have. There's about that much freedom of speech <coughs> in polygamy groups, too. Yeah, yeah. I was called at 8 o'clock the next morning. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, tonight we want to address some <coughs> concerns and ask why uh, those who, who know that it's wrong, like you just mentioned, that they know it's wrong, why do they stay 
and, and, and ask the question, uh, would they have the courage to get out? Now, our show has provided literally hundreds of historical facts, and Mormonism was founded on fraudulent claims. We can truthfully say that. That's true. We've contrasted the message of Mormonism with Jesus' teachings, whom they claim is their leader, but their teachings are as different as night and day. For instance, Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven. They continue to teach there's marriage in heaven. Right. Jesus taught there's no pre-existence, but they continue to teach that there is a pre-existence. They completely ignore what Jesus taught. In order for a lie to be believable and effective, there needs to be incorporated in that lie hints of truth. For that reason, many of them will put their name of Jesus in the name of their church. Many polygamous groups have the name of Jesus in the name of their church. There are many reasons why people claim they know their church is true. You want to discuss some of those reasons. Yes, I do. <coughs> um, one of the biggest reasons that uh, people will say they know the church is true is because they have a personal revelation. Now, why is that? It's because they've been conditioned to have that personal revelation. You know, when I went to church, I was told exactly how that was going to go. I was going to pray after reading the Book of Mormon and searching prayerfully. Right? And I was supposed to have a specific experience, okay? And, uh, and so I looked for that. And have I had experiences that would, could be considered personal revelations? Well, sure I could. But then it goes deeper. Because as I learned more facts about the church, things that I didn't know, those things to me, I started to say, well, wait a minute. Is it possible that I could be wrong? And for a long time, it's no, I can't be wrong because I had this personal revelation and it happened exactly like they told me. Mm -hmm. right? so, so they do some spiritual conditioning. They of condition course. you spiritually. Yes, it's very much psychological. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, a lot of people, like I say, will have these you know, experiences exactly to protocol. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes when somebody doesn't, if you go and say, well, you know, to your bishop, your stake president, your ecclesiastical leader, whatever that is in, in, uh, in fundamentalism, and you say, well, I didn't have that experience, it's basically a rinse and repeat. Oh, well, you probably didn't do it right. Yeah, it's your you fault. Were you praying with a, you know, with a pure intent? Um, well, how's your life? Are you sinning? You know, and it's always directed back at you that somehow there's something broken with you if you don't get the exact textbook definition of what that personal revelation is. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, they do, they do spiritually, spiritual conditioning in polygamy groups exactly the same way, by the way, yes. with reading the Book of Mormon and you have to have this feeling and all of that. They mm -hmm. do that with females when they're born in the polygamy group. All females are conditioned from the time that they're old enough to know that when they grow up and get married, they're going to be a polygamous wife. That's just, they don't know any different. Yeah. In fact, they think it's the right thing to do it's because they've been conditioned that that's the thing to do, and they don't know any better. They don't know it shouldn't be any other way. I agree. Yeah. I think there's something, too, that, that happens, and that is the longer somebody's a part of an organization, they're a part of the church, um, maybe, maybe something happened in your life. Maybe you had an illness. Maybe somebody laid their hands on your head and gave you a blessing. Maybe you prayed and you asked to be healed, and somehow or another, you were healed, right? And so a lot of times, as a member of the church, that I, when I felt that, I really wanted to associate those good experiences as part of the truthfulness of the church I was a part of, when in fact, it, it really isn't. It's really a separate, different experience. So, so have there been some blatant uh, inconsistencies and fraudulent claims to illustrate the point of, of personal revelations that were incorrect? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <coughs> in fact, um, Let's make it really pretty simple. 
Um, again, I know that a lot of people have this this personal testimony, okay, that we all strive for in, in, in some kind of a belief system. I'm not saying that that's bad to strive for it, right? But um, as Doris mentioned, it can become an issue of pride. And that's all honestly what it was for me because for a while I defended the church, okay? I defended the church against a lot of these really wacky uh, uh, things that I had no idea were there, okay? And it was because I had a personal revelation. But the question is, who else had personal revelations? Who else had personal revelations that um, maybe maybe false maybe false prophecies that didn't work out? Mm -hmm, yeah. Joseph Smith. Yeah, give an example. All right. Well, okay. For ex for example, okay. Joseph Smith, whose claim to fame is that he's seen God and Jesus and their best buds, and um, of course he's also a translator and things like that. And of course his 1832 vision doesn't really match up with that he's seen God and Jesus. But that's something we can talk about in a little bit. But he had a revelation to go and sell the Book of Mormon to Canada, okay? So people actually got together and went up to Canada on this personal revelation, okay? Well, it turned out to be false. It turned out to be incorrect, 100% wrong, mm -hmm. okay? And when people came back, he says, well, yeah, um, some revelations are of man, some are of, of God, and some are of the devil, okay? And I'm paraphrasing that, but it, if... G if Joseph Smith, the guy who saw God and Jesus, can't even tell who it is that's speaking to him, is it possible, is it at least possible that you, me, and others who have a personal testimony could also be mistaken? Is it possible if Joseph Smith himself was mistaken? In, other words, was? in other words, if Joseph Smith got it wrong, then any one of us can be wrong too. I mean, if, if he can Absolutely. search... If he can search and question, which he did, that's what Mormonism is based on, right. why can't all members of his group search and question? Yet they're discouraged from searching and finding out for themselves. They're scored that. <coughs> some are even excommunicated. Um, yes, some are. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Joseph Smith is always uh, heralded as being this great man for having questions and things like that and chasing them down. And then anyone in the you know, Mormonism, whether it be fundamentalist or the mainstream church, Questioning will land you in a disciplinary council sometimes if you take it too far. So what does it say about a member of either group if he can't accept the possibility that their own prophet got it wrong? What, what keeps them from investigating <coughs> the possibility that they could be wrong? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to tell you, it sucks to be wrong. It does. It's not fun. I don't like being wrong, but it happens. That's just life, right? And I think it's fear... And I also think it's pride. I think it's both. I think it's a hybrid of, of that. You know, like I said, it comes at a big cost to admit you're a non-believer. Because, you know, I was excommunicated for it, which obviously um, got me a lot of uh, unwanted fame with friends, neighbors, family. Uh, there are family members who, to this day, treat me very differently. In fact, are very uh, terrible in the way they treat me. Because I'm openly opposed to Mormonism. Now, you questioned <clears throat> at one point the oddity, it seemed, that God kept the Book of Mormon record hidden for so many centuries. Mm -hmm. and, and you're talking about selling the copyright to Canada. Right. But the God kept the record hidden for so many centuries and then allowed this man, Joseph Smith, <coughs> to get a hold of it. And it'd be the source of, of him making money. Explain your concerns about that, because that's what it ended up being. Right. 
Well, it's, it's like we've talked about. Due diligence is something that people need to do, right? And, <clears throat> and it's kind of like this. You know, if you're going to meet a prophet, you might want to say, what were you doing before you were in the prophesying business, right? Well, for Joseph Smith, it just so happened to be um, uh, treasure hunting and doing pretend visions for people and receiving a fee for his services of which he never, ever received, never, ever located any treasures, okay? And so I think it's really odd that God would have this great record of these people, right? This, this record that we talk about here and yet somehow have it available as a money-making enterprise for Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. That is completely ridiculous to me in any way mm -hmm. that I can think of. Absolutely true. Now, we've discussed uh, on the show before that um, it's historically accurate that Joseph Smith was involved in the occultic practices, like the treasure hunting yes, and, and things like that. Uh, when, when Joseph Smith was killed, actually, he was found in his pocket with a Jupiter talisman on his, on his person. That is correct. What is the Jupiter talisman? What is it used for? And you have one with <coughs> you, I think, that you wanted to show. I do, yeah. Let's see. Where are we? What, what is the... This is a Jupiter talisman. It's not very big. It's about the size of a, of a silver dollar, okay? And this is actually something that is used in occultic practices. Actually, this specific one is, is in, involved in Kabbalism. Okay? And uh, it's one of those things that people use to invoke spirits. They can create circles. Um, on there, there is actually a Hebrew um, ABA. Now, some of the apologists okay, try, to, try to call it uh, Abba, like God the Father. Okay? But it's actually not. It, it references an angel that is, uh, is associated with human fertility which maybe that uh, kind of ties in then with Joseph we get Smith. Polygamy, huh? uh, polygamy certainly would be a great way for one man to be incredibly fertile. Mm -hmm. um, and Kabbalism is amazing with how much it will show up in Mormonism all over the place. That was something I was doing quite a bit of research on. We don't have time to cover it. But if you're interested in, in knowing a little bit more about Kabbalism, you will be shocked. I mean, there, it talks about blood sacrifices as well. There's some scary stuff with this. Okay. So anyway, and he had that on him in his pocket, correct, on the day of his death. So yes. there, there's, we can't talk that there was any, or we can't assume that there was any uh, repentance that went on with some of his occultic practices. He was known as a storyteller. <laughs> he was <clears throat> known as a glass looker and a treasure hunter. Explain what the glass looker <clears throat> and treasure hunter was, and why dabbling with the occult is such a questionable practice for someone who wants to present himself as a godly spiritual leader. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. Very good question. Um, so, I mean, being a treasure hunter, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, right? But when you're using fraudulent practices to be able to make money, pretending to see things, being a glass looker, um, and then you're getting maybe desperate, right? Because, I mean, if, you, if you're doing something a lot, maybe you start to get desperate. And so maybe you start looking into the occultic practices. And maybe you even start taking it as far as to do animal sacrifices in order to find and, and treasures. that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. In fact, we have a quote um, about this. <coughs> Should pop up on the screen here. C.R. Ta uh, Stafford testified concerning this same incident. Joe Smith, the prophet, told my uncle, William Stafford, that he wanted a fat black sheep. He said he wants to cut its throat and make it walk in a circle three times around and it would prevent a pot of money from leaving. Okay, so that's something Joseph Smith himself requested. Yes. Okay. So, he, and now the Staffords, by the way, <clears throat> they lived on a farm 
close to the Smith farm and they went to school with some of the Smith children and he was very, Stafford was very familiar with Joseph Smith's family and with Joseph Smith himself. So this isn't coming from a second or third source. This is coming from a close acquaintance and exactly. friend of the family. And, and uh, for this reason, we've actually gotten a handful of quotes of, uh, together because a lot of people will say, well, maybe that's not in context. So for those of you context people, Pay attention, do a little research, read this, and follow along here. Old Joseph and one of the boys came to me one day and said Joseph Smith Jr. had discovered some very remarkable and valuable treasures, which could be procured in only, one, only in one way. That way was as follows, that a black sheep should be taken to the ground where the treasures were concealed. After cutting its throat, it should be led around in a circle while bleeding. This being done, the wrath of the evil spirit... Okay, evil spirit, pay attention to that part, it's important, would be appeased. The treasures could be obtained, and my share of them was to be foretold. To gratify my curiosity, I let them have a large, fat sheep. They afterwards informed me that the sheep was killed pursuant to the commandment. Pay attention to that word as well, commandment, right? But there was some mistake in the process. It did not have the desired effect. This, I believe, is the only time they ever made money digging a profitable business. Now this is a well-documented event. It's not something that's just made up or contrived or exaggerated. And like yeah. you said, any of our viewers can find the information if they search for it. You have one more quote about this. I do. Too. So if you are a skeptical viewer, like I usually am, okay, I don't want to just read some random thing. This one is from a BYU professor. Okay, So it gives it a little bit of credibility, a little bit of weight. Follow along on this. BYU professor uh, Wilford Polson, quote, I once asked Stafford if Smith did steal a sheep from him. He said, no, not exactly. He said he did miss a black sheep, but soon Joseph came and admitted he took it for sacrifice. But he was willing to work for it. He made wooden sap buckets to fully pay for it. So it's admitted that it happened. Right. And it, it took place. He had a small career of defrauding people. He was willing to do some very odd and illegal things. Um, and then, uh, then he graduated to bigger and better things, too, after oh, that. Oh, absolutely. He graduated uh, to bigger and better so things. So what, what should people think? I mean, when, they, when we read things like this, what should we, shouldn't they wonder what's going on? Who, who are we listening to? Are we following yes. this man's teachings? Yes, yes, absolutely people should be wondering that. And you know what? As I started finding these things out and I kept trying to do this, this dizzying intellect of trying to find a way to explain it away because I was so comfortable in my belief, I was so comfortable that I know the truth, right? Because I'd been conditioned to feel that. There came a point where I just can't take it anymore. I just can't because it's a lie. Okay, so you should be asking yourself, what are you thinking right now if you believe that Joseph Smith really was a prophet of God? The guy was sacrificing animals to evil spirits before he became a prophet. It would be handy if he had a resume that came in before we read the Book of Mormon and we were taken into and this it whole was, crap. And it, and it was for treasure digging, which when he became a prophet, he promptly went out and started digging for gold plates. I mean, it's just exactly, it's, yes. not much of a graduation there, <coughs> is there? Uh, no, and amazingly, he uses the same seer stone that he used to defraud people in order to translate the Book of Mormon. And no one ever saw the place because he put his head in the hat to read what was on there. There was no translation done at all. So well said. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's look at Joseph Smith's fraud and plagiarism, especially okay. in the Book of Mormon. All right, let's do that. 
<coughs> as we know, Joseph's big claim to fame was that he was a translator. Of course, that he was also BFFs with God and Jesus. All right. Um, anyway, in the Book of Mormon, uh, much of Isaiah is, is uh, copied word for word. I mean, word for word. Now, some people will say, oh, well, that's okay, because, you know, it seemed that Isaiah being a holy text could also show up in the Book of Mormon. Well, if you have any knowledge of history at all, it's really not okay. It's pretty wacky. And the other thing that's interesting is that it's specific to the King James Bible, okay, mm -hmm. which there's several different translations, as we all know, because there's lots of different linguistics. Um, and Joseph Smith happened to own a King James Bible. So I think that is particularly uh, noteworthy. It is, and um, there were 17 total chapters from Isaiah. That yes. he That's a lot of copying. Oh, for, yeah, for and, and that's like do. direct copying. Mm -hmm. yeah. direct, word for word. Um, actually, you can go on. We have a couple of samples we're going to put up on the screen, but you can go to mormonismdisproved.org. Uh, slash plagiarism and find a big chart of side-by-side -side, uh, quotes from the King James and the Book of Mormon <coughs> where he quoted word for word. Um, and then you've got a couple that you uh, yeah. wanted to use in Malachi and Isaiah. I do. That, that yeah. he copied. Yes, I do. Um, yeah, in fact, if we could put those on the screen, that would be great. Because um, I don't have those in my notes. There they are. Yeah, well, I, don't, I haven't got them written down, but they're okay. Isaiah 9-1 and, and 2 <laughs> okay, Nephi 19-1. Isaiah 9-1 and 2 Nephi 19-1, side by side. Now, the important thing to note here is if you see the, uh, the highlighted uh, versions here, those happen to be words that were copied word for word. However, they were italicized in the King James Version. The reason for this is because, as we mentioned, in linguistics, there is a challenge sometimes in... Uh, in in translating something and having it flow. So the, the scholars that put this together italicized that, saying, hey, these were not on the original text. But amazingly, they crept into the Book of Mormon back 600 BC onto the gold, pl onto the gold plates from 1604 to, say, 1611. Anyway, nevertheless, well, should I read this or not? So, so no, I don't think we need to read it. I think it's very clear that the, the, the scholars in 1611, yeah. that Joseph Smith could pick up hundreds of years before they did what they did, that yeah. he would have done precisely the same thing. Exactly, yeah. I mean, Wouldn't have done it. Yeah, it's not like they went and got themselves a copy of the Book of Mormon and said, oh, Joseph Smith, he was a translator. He had this figured out. Because they're in 1611. We're talking 1820s to 30, right? Is when the Book of Mormon was right. printed, 1830. Right. So, yeah, it's just... It's a, it's a huge conundrum. And Joseph Smith did not know that, and that's a big blunder that no, he yeah. made. In, he did not in know that. He made a huge blunder there. Absolutely. Okay. There's, an, there's another one, too, that we have, right? Or, um, Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. I, uh, I think that one was actually pretty interesting because it had seven um, that he had, that he had um, copied over. Do we have that one? Well, I had sent it in. I don't know if they've... Okay, we can Not skip over. Anyway, okay. But anyway, there are other sources to, to establish a pattern of his fraudulent <coughs> claims as well. The Book of Abraham is another example. Oh, yeah. The Book of Abraham has absolutely been conclusively proven to be fraudulent by Egyptologists, yes. By Egyptologists. By the way, we did a show on this uh, March 24th of 2011 with Charles Larson as a guest, and he wrote a book by his own hand upon papyrus, which is upon the screen. And uh, you can go to episode number 412 on our website and watch the show on that when we talk about 
the it was not a translation at all that no. Joseph Smith did uh, from those papyri. Um, and uh, some entries of Joseph Smith's diary, now they want to change the word translation to inspiration now because it's been proven to be a fraud. Of course. And so that's what they said. They're just changing all these things to make it look better. I have some quotes I would like to read from Joseph Smith's diary. Sunday, July 5th, 1835, quote, with W.W. W. Phelps and Oliver Cowdery as scribes, I commence the translation of some of the characters or hieroglyphics, and much to our joy found that one of the scrolls contained the writings of Abraham, another the writings of Joseph Smith. Now, he's saying those scrolls contained the writings of Abraham and of Joseph Smith. Yes. So that wouldn't be an inspiration. It would have to be a translation. Exactly. And it wasn't. And he even talked about... Yeah, the, the actual characters. Exactly. Right. Well, yeah, I think that's coming up in this next one. Uh, late July of 1835, Joseph Smith wrote in his diary, quote, The remainder of this month I was continually engaged in translating an alphabet of the Book of Abraham <coughs> and arranging a grammar of the Egyptian language as practiced by the ancients. And then a few months later, we read again from his diary, uh, Wednesday, October 7th, 1835, quote, this afternoon I recommenced translating from the ancient records. So he himself claimed to translate from this bogus papyrus. Yeah, yeah he did. And he said it would translate. Right, and just like um, in the beginning of the book of Abraham, it even says it's a translation. It says it's a translation, and, and I've got the, the, doctor, the book of Abraham right here where we looked it up. Now, the Kinderhook plays, that's another blatant display of, of Joseph Smith's fraudulent Oh, yeah. And he was quickly found out on this one. Yes, he was, yeah. Um, you know, the Kinderhook plates are, 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 it's like the nail in the coffin, okay? And so many apologists want to be able to write this off and be like, oh, it was just a hoax that people, you know, kind of played a prank on Joseph. Yeah, okay, it was a hoax. That is true. The Kinderhook plates were absolute bogus, okay? They were made by some guys that figured Joseph was full crap, okay? And so they said, all right, we're going to set this thing up and we're going to have a little, a little game here and find out if Joseph bites, and he did. He bit at it really, really hard. <coughs> um, in History of the Church, Volume 5, now to give you guys an idea, I know that sometimes when I would talk to people, I had no idea what these things were, okay? This is History of the Church right here. Okay, You can buy it at Deseret Book. This is Volume 5, page 372 to 379 has to do with the Kinderhook plates, all right? We've got a little part in here that's pretty important, okay? And a lot of the apologists want to be able to write this off. You determine how important it is, okay? by listening to this. <coughs> now, when they're standing there looking at the Kinderhook plates, here's what Joseph Smith had said. I have translated a portion of them and find they contain the history of the person with whom they were found. He was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. Their office, he translated a portion of them. <laughs> right. And they were bogus plates. Exactly. That's the whole thing. And it's right here in history of the church, right on, right in this book, okay? And here's what's interesting. They also made a poster that they put up that says, hey, we actually have an archeological relic, okay? This right here, this was made by John Taylor, all right? So this, these Kinderhook plates were not taken as a joke by the saints, mm -mm. okay? Wilbur Fugate put them together with a couple of his buddies, uh, Roger Wiley, and and yet, later they admitted to them being a hoax, like much later, much after Joseph's death. 
That is conclusive, easy proof. It's like if I said, hey, I'm in a Spanish-speaking country, that red sign over there that says alto means stop. Well, if it doesn't mean stop, I just made a translation there. He references, he specifically made a translation. Furthermore, he goes in to tell you about the skeleton that was buried with the plates. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a total crop. Yep, Zelp. Zelp the skeleton, and we also did a show yep. on that. Well, we, we need to do a mid-show break right now, <coughs> uh, okay. Tyson. So we're going to open up our telephone lines for any of our viewers who would like to call in and make comments or ask some questions about our topic tonight. Our telephone number is 801-973-8820, 973-TV20. Keep in mind that the main point of our discussion is that we want to ask those who stay when they know it's wrong or are, are 99 percent convinced it's wrong why do you stay we want you to have the courage to step out and walk away from it so for our mid-show break again tonight uh, we're going to bring you up to date on the situation with the sale of the tv station as we approach the end of our on the air broadcasting here we are gearing up to go internet only fortunately these days there's no reason that this should cause any disruption in your ability to view our programs on your television if that's how you prefer to watch our shows there are a lot of inexpensive devices out there they're readily available that allow you to easily stream internet video to your television as long as you have an adequate internet connection and usually you will need to have Wi-Fi in your home as well if you don't know how to do it you can get a son or a daughter or a neighbor or someone uh, that can help you it's really quite simple Daniel to kid. do it <laughs> pretty pretty much any device uh, that you can stream uh, YouTube or Vimeo to your television will enable you to watch our prog programming on your television set. This includes a lot of new Wi-Fi ready Blu-ray players, gaming devices and so on. Now there are also inexpensive options like Chromecast and Amazon Fire, but the solution we're most enthusiastic about is Roku and you spell that R-O-K-U, and that's because we are creating a dedicated channel specifically for Polygamy What Love Is This on the Roku. The interface is easy. Once the channel's in your system, you don't have to do a lot of hunting or searching to find us. And if you uh, would like to watch all of our episodes, our recent episodes, our just barely released episodes, you'll also have access to all of our earlier programming like video on demand. Like the other devices, you can get it pretty cheaply in any store that has electronic departments like uh, Best Buy or Walmart or Target or Shopco or Costco uh, or Sam's Club and so on. Also, if you're a fan of the ex-Mormon files, we're working on a Roku channel also for that program. And if you currently have a Roku device or if you're planning on getting one very quickly, we do have an unlisted beta channel for this program for the ex-Mormon files. And, and also for this program. These are channels that are now under construction, but if you'd like to help us by testing them out, or perhaps you'd just like to enjoy our features, you can email us and we will send you the code that you will need to access these channels before they go public. Once they go public, you won't need a code. You can just connect your Roku in and find the channel and make it one of your uh, favorite channels. So um, just keep that in mind as we move from internet or from uh, broadcast at TV20 to internet. We don't have a date yet, but again, we're planning sometime in mid-June. Okay, so let's go back to our discussion. I want to get to the part where we're talking about the polygamy um, that that um, Joseph Smith was involved in. That's always a big one. 
um, and the racism part too as mm -hmm. well. So let's get on the racism. Okay. Um, th there's a, a problem with the racism that people probably don't even know what it was all about. Right. Um, but you got a quote here from Brigham Young. I think you wanted to start that out with. Absolutely. Um, this quote from Brigham Young has been on the show a few times. It is incredibly damning. Okay, there is no other way to see this. Guys, pay attention to this. It's important. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. Now, this goes back to their early teaching that Cain's curse was black skin. Right. That's what they taught. Right. The other thing that's important to know is that a lot of people want to give, you know, always want to write everything off. Any of the bad stuff, we just need to be able to somehow close our eyes and go hide in the closet and say that didn't happen. That's bull. Okay, it did. And the other thing, too, is he says, law of God, twice, law of God. Okay, so that is what we call doctrinal. If a man who's a prophet says law of God, that's one of those things that you look at and you say, oh, I guess he's saying law of God. He's right. speaking for God right there. Hmm. Supposedly, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, there's always people who want to say, oh, that's out of context. I don't know how you could take that out of context. But it just so happens we have another quote available from another man who was a prophet later who was listening to Brigham Young and, and happened to hear another thing that Brigham Young said. So he happened to take it in the same context that we're delivering it. Should we share exactly. that Exactly. You betcha. From Wilford Woodruff. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> Any man having one drop of the seed of Cain in him cannot hold the priesthood. I will say now in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, that right there, doctrinal signal to me. I know it is true, and they know it. The Negro cannot hold one particle of government. If any man mixes his seed with the seed of Cain, the only way he could get rid of it or have salvation would be to come forward and have his head cut off. Let's read that one more time. His head cut off. Okay, and spill his blood on the ground, it would also take the life of his children. That's pretty drastic, isn't it? That's batshit crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Sorry about that. That is, ins that is crazy. You know, people want to talk about how crazy ISIS is about beheading people. You have a Mormon prophet who's talking about beheading people. Yeah, we've, uh, Sorry, we've always provided angry. sources just like you did. Yes. These are, these are uh, Mormon sources from their own history that yeah. we are using against their own prophets. Exactly. Okay, we have a call coming in. I think that we'll enjoy listening to this <coughs> okay. uh, particular caller. Line one, Keziah in Manti. Hello, Keziah. Hey, sweetheart. I'll turn that down. Okay, yes, I have a question for you and your guest. Uh, do you know exactly what's located in the uh, history of the church where one of the uh, leaders of the church uh, said that the very day that the blacks were given with the, the priesthood, that they would lose their own priesthood? That's, that's mm. true. They did and say also, that. Mm -hmm. And before you even answer that, let me throw this at you, too. Mm. That at the same uh, type of drastic statement was made that the very moment that the church gives up polygamy, yes. that they would lose their priesthood. That's as right, Keziah. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Keziah, I, I've quoted both those on the shows in the past, but I do not remember exactly where they're at or, or which who said okay, which quote. Well, listen, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, bug you when you're uh, around at your home and you're available. Where I can get to the references. Hey, just, you know, hey, you got my number. Mm -hmm. Come okay. and uh, give that to me. I'm writing a story of, a, of, of my life, and because these, 
these uh, radical doctrines of these uh, false prophets, you know, uh, all the garbage that I suffered is a direct result because of their cockeyed false doctrines. So, uh, anyway, sweetheart, I love you guys. You're doing great and you look beautiful. Thanks and for that. Uh, get that information to me when you can. Will do, Kaziah. Okay. Thanks for calling. Bye. And, and she's absolutely right. They did say if they ever, if they ever gave yeah. up polygamy, they would lose their priesthood as a church. If they exactly. ever gave up the, the blacks, if, right. then they would lose it. But you also might as well turn away from Mormonism as to deny exactly. polygamy. That's yeah. exactly right. That's what he they said. said that, yeah. That's what they said. Mm -hmm. um, and, and here they are denying any of, uh, any of that <coughs> right. was ever a necessity. Right. It, it, it just blows my mind. Um, now, y you wanted to say about the valid explanations that Brigham Young taught against the blacks. You had three possible explanations of what he said. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is there's no valid explanation that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> well, okay, if there so, was a valid explanation, you've right. got three well, possibilities. I've got, I've got three <laughs> possibilities, right? So one, Brigham Young was right. Okay. So we'll investigate that. Two, he was wrong. Either he lied. Or B, it was a mistake, and he might have been deceived, okay? So, let's go with number one. Let's say that he was right for a second, okay? So, are we really to believe that God changed his mind about black people, okay? And that the mixed marriage and all of these, you know, big blood sacrifice sins are now no longer important when he said that it would always be so? I mean, or, or you know, are we really to believe that, that God just, is 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 not able to to make his mind and keep it or, well but god or doesn't confused. change his mind we're, right, we're right. clear about that in the bible very very doesn't strange change his mind very strange um you know and then let's go with with my second one the 2a if, if brigham young lied okay and in the name of jesus christ he was not struck down then how in the world does that mean a prophet cannot lead you astray yeah how that Absolutely. doesn't make sense to me and then you know if he if he made an honest mistake well, then what do we conclude there? Because the thing is, is that this isn't like something that just happened, I don't know, on the weekend, and, you know, maybe God was out on the weekend, you know, having a good time, and came back and said, oh, Brigham, you know, you made a mistake, right? Kind of like how Mormons, a lot of times, I know, think, oh, well, it takes God a long time to communicate to them. Well, God had, a, had an angel with a drawn sword show up to Joseph Smith to make sure that he was out, you know, sowing his oats and, and, uh, and being able to get more women in polygamy. Where was this miraculous intervention that should have happened for over a hundred years? Mm -hmm. The entire, this, uh, of this entire church involvement. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I challenge anybody to give me another explanation besides those, because this is absolutely ridiculous. And, and you should be asking yourself right now, okay, when you sustain the leaders of the church, okay, because you're asked to sustain them, what is your integrity worth? And do you really just stand back and say, well, it's easier for me and my family and my friends to not stand up and say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is incorrect. In fact, it's, it's downright abhorrent. You know, an interesting thing that happened this past weekend, uh, on May 12th, an article in the Salt Lake Tribune talks about uh, an LDS Sunday school instructor who has dismissed yeah. because he was teaching from these racist, these racial articles on the LDS.org website. Yeah, and I, he was teaching from those articles and they kicked him out from being a teacher. Fascinating story. In fact, his bishop was not even aware of the article, uh, Race, Race and the Priesthood, they, that they was on LDS.org. They were even there. Oh my goodness. If you can't teach off LDS.org as an LDS Sunday school teacher, what can you uh, do? You'd just be a robot, I guess. You'd I just guess. be a robot. 
Uh, but so. racism is a polygamous dogma. We can talk about racism here. We can talk about what the LDS do with racism because uh, it was a uh, part of the LDS system in the early polygamous days. And of course, they remain truer to Mormon teachers than the LDS oh, absolutely, uh, does. Right. Absolutely. Um, let's, well, let's go quickly um, to the polygamy issue because they, we still want to get to yeah. the apostate issue before yeah. the end of the show. So let's quickly <coughs> go through uh, the, the polygamy, polyandry, sexual deviance of, of, in the name of the Lord of Joseph Smith. Right. So do you really think he was sexually deviant? And what is your biggest problem with his, yeah. with what he did? Absolutely sexually, sexually deviant. I mean, he married prepubescent teens. He married other guys' wives. He married sisters. He married mothers and daughters. He basically married almost anybody who could say yes. We know of 11 wives that were married to other men that he actually successfully, you know, married. There's other ones that have turned him down. We also know of how those stories went. It's insanity. Yes, the guy is a sexual deviant. There is proof that he's had sexual relations with those wives. If you really want to find it, it's not hard to go find it. No, it isn't. Um, and, and I think Helen Mark Kimball seems to be the biggest problem you Helen have. Helen Mark Kimball is one that makes me boil. Yeah. Yeah. Explain that. Why? Well, <coughs> apologists a lot of times like to explain away polygamy. And they particularly like the story of Valate Kimball, who is Heber C. Kimball's wife. Now, Joseph Smith went to Heber C. Kimball, and he said, Hey, Heber, listen, um, you know, I was hanging out with God the other day, and God said I should marry your wife, which, you know, I mean, shouldn't come across as strange to anyone, right? And uh, so Heber, he wasn't really very fired up about that. He wasn't excited, and he's like, what? And so he took a little while, took a few days, and he came back really troubled, and he said to Joseph, All right, if that's what God says, fine. And then Joseph said, Oh, I was just testing you. Now stop right there. That's what the uh, apologists say. They just use that and say, oh, it was like Abraham and Isaac. He wasn't really, you know, he was just testing them. But yeah, he was testing them, testing them indeed. So Heber C. Kimball has a daughter named Helen Mark Kimball, okay? And about a year later, he goes to Heber C. Kimball and says, hey, Heber, God said I should marry your 14-year-old daughter, all right? Now, I have a daughter. I have, I have boys and I have a little girl. And this matters. I don't care if it's a long time ago. I don't care how long ago it was. Okay, because when you're looking at history and you guys want to talk about reformation and restoration and things like that, think about this too. This is also in this man's history. Yep. To me, this is a premeditated play to get Helen Marr as one of his wives. Because he knew Heber would say yes, because Heber was willing to give up his own wife. But what about those who say, well, he didn't have sex with her? <laughs> well, You've got a I quote. guess that's kind of an interesting thought. Um, <laughs> I don't have the video or anything, so we'll go ahead and refrain from that, but I do have a quote that maybe you can listen to and think about this. Uh, let's see here. I would never, this is said by Helen Mark Kimball. I would never have been sealed to Joseph had I known it was anything more than ceremony. I was young and they deceived me by saying the salvation of my whole family depended on it. Okay, now she's saying right there that she thought it was only ceremony, Yeah. but it was more. What more? Yeah, what more? Uh, Does she have to wash the dishes once in a while? I don't think, I don't that's, think what that's what she's what talking is. about. She's talking she was young, and she was deceived. Right. That's what she says. Right. She was deceived. It's, and that, the, it's and that he promised the salvation of her family if he would marry her. Yeah. That's deception. It's deception, and it's scary because how wrapped up is somebody to say, oh, okay, so you're going to give me salvation. I guess I'll just hand over my kid. Yep. She's 14. Yep. 
And that's the reason that she, the only reason she said yes is because he promised the salvation Absolutely. of her family. To Absolutely. Her. Yeah. First her salvation and then the salvation of her family. Sweeten the deal. Yeah. yeah. And that's what polygamy groups do today. I know. And Precisely that today. If you will do this, if you will marry so and so, you will secure your salvation. If right. you don't, you're going to go to hell. Right. I mean, that's our choices in the polygamy group. Yeah. And it makes me insane. It makes it, well, it makes <laughs> us insane too. Okay, let's get to our final discussion okay. on the apostate. Okay. People who leave their <coughs> Mormonism, whether it's the LDS or the polygamy, uh, people who leave are sometimes treated so horribly, and they're referred to as apostates, which generally causes a repulsive reaction uh, by those who think that they are the ones who are faithful. The word apostate is probably the ugliest word in the entire vocabulary of every Mormon and every polygamist, at least in their own minds. Yeah. Now, yes. what is peculiar about what takes place when people leave the Mormon system? What, what they, they, they're, they're, they're deemed lost and that yeah. Satan got a hold of their mind and all kinds of ugly things. Right, they are. I mean, people look at you differently and that doesn't feel good. Somehow or another, I wonder, do people really think that one day I, or somebody else, but I'm going to use myself as, a, as an example, that I woke up one day and I said, hey, I don't want my family for eternity? Or hey, I don't think eternal life sounds very cool. In fact, the heck with it? No, absolutely not. And then some people will say, well, then you're obviously led by Satan because somehow or another you've lost the Holy Spirit. Well, if the Holy Spirit is going to tell me that marrying young girls other men's wives, defrauding people, setting up a bank and taking people's money, murder, um, all these other things that Joseph Smith has done is what God commands. Then I'm with Doris, and I'm going to choose a life of outer darkness because these people have no authority, none. Right. And all they've done is, is live a life in their pretend world of make-believe. That's it. And unfortunately, if you believe, you're buying it, and it costs you a lot. It's going to cost more than they even realize because their eternity is a long, long time. Yes. Um, let's talk to our caller on line three. We have calling Carol from Sandy. Hello, Carol. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. You're on the air, Carol. Carol? Hello? I heard her for a minute. I heard her say hi. Hello, Carol, are you there? I'm here. Okay, you need to speak up. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll turn the volume up on my phone. What is your question or your comment? Can you hear me now? We yes. I can hear you a little bit, Carol. Yeah, speak as loud as you can. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I was a lifelong member of the church, and uh, I did the historical research about three years ago, and I found the same thing you're talking about. And so I... Uh, I was on mormonresearch.com and they gave cer certain samples of letters that you can send in for your, to request your membership be taken off the record. Yeah. It was really, I mean, this letter I sent to my bishop, he just understood. I said, I'm not going to go for excommunication. I have done nothing wrong because I'm uh, willing to <clears throat> search out these things. And uh, they came to my home, and uh, I read them 
uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about uh, many false prophets. And I said, I believe that. I believe this this Sermon on the Mount, I, I believe that Joseph Smith was a false prophet. And uh, it doesn't have to be scary. You don't have to feel like you're ostracized. Because no. <clears throat> all my friends are still my friends. I just spoke up and I just said, well, if you do the research, then decide. But don't judge me. I think that's a really important Many point, Carol. people are worried about what will happen if they leave the church. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they should be worried. <clears throat> well, it's different for different people, Carol, I'm sorry to say, because in some areas it can be a, a very hellacious experience. It can be, but I'm, I'm with you, though, too, Carol, on this. Guys that leave, it doesn't have to be, okay? I left the church, but I love everybody in my ward. In fact, I'm very good friends with, with the vast majority of them, and those that aren't my friends, I don't know about it. I divorced the church. I didn't divorce them as friends. Well, what happens in many areas is that they will divorce you as friends. Oh, I know about happens. that, too. Believe me, I have people in, on that list. Yeah. 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 But I think if you kill them with kindness as well, and, and you don't turn into this crazy apostate that they perceive you to turn into, and, and it's that, really interesting. And that is the problem that happens is they, they label you apostate. All of a sudden, you're just all kinds, of, all kinds of ugly. Very hard. And, and very many things. So, so I think probably what we want to say is, as we start to wind down is what, the, what, um, what, do, what, are you, what are you doing? If you don't believe your church is true, if you, why are you still staying? Is it for the social reason? That's not a good enough reason. To, to hang on to something that's not the truth. What do you have to say to those who are hanging on? You've got about a minute to get on your soapbox. Okay. <clears throat> if you're hanging on for social reasons, hang on to the people for social reasons because people are worth it. But ideas aren't. Okay. Be open. Be honest about your ideas. There's nothing wrong with looking and quoting a prophet and saying, well, wait a minute, this just doesn't seem right because morally it isn't. And morally, most, most LDS and fundamentalists, I believe, would look at that and say, yeah, that, that probably isn't right. Okay? So deep down inside you, you know who you are. But somehow or another, you've continually tried to push it away. And that's not okay. And I know you know it's not okay. Because you know what? I've lived it. I've been there. I believed it. I wanted to believe it. And I, I realized that I had to face what I didn't want to face. And it was actually, my life is so much better without it. Yes, I get some people who are not supportive of that decision, and that's okay. But I have an amazing amount of people who are and are supportive of the real me. But I think the, I think the question here is truth. truth absolutely. Truth matters. I mean, yes. it really, truth matters. <clears throat> it absolutely matters, yes. A and if they're hanging on to something that they doubt and they know isn't true, like we've we have very, very clearly shown Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Wilford, yeah. these others, that they are basing it on fraud. That's right. not truthful. They can't base your eternity on the fraudulence of another person. Exactly. You can't. And it's important. It's incredibly important. In fact, just really quick, you write checks to these churches, okay, with your money, your hard-earned money. Your hard-earned money can okay. go to help other people. We got. And Doris actually does that. And I really highly respect that. Sorry, well, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> we just don't have two hours tonight. Like <laughs> it would be nice if we did have. But thank you, Tyson, for coming and sharing uh, your thoughts with us tonight. And thank you, our viewers, for watching and our callers for calling.
Um, our desire tonight, of course, was to challenge our viewers to take a stand against the rhetoric of religious leaders who have remained unchallenged since Joseph Smith first brought forth Mormonism. Truth doesn't change. Yet Mormonism today, even in polygamy groups, is not the Mormonism of Joseph Smith's day. Polygamy is closer to being original Mormonism than the LDS, but all the separate groups of the Mormon religion approaches as if it's a buffet to pick and choose what they want and reject everything else. That's why they all have similar doctrines and also very different doctrines. And worse, they choose and then distort whatever doctrines that suit their agenda the best. This has no resemblance whatsoever to biblical record or God's revelation to us. There are many members of all these Mormon groups who do not believe in their church, but they stay for various reasons. And if this describes you, we are asking you, why are you staying? Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in wickedness. God said it's wicked to suppress the truth. Religious leaders who suppress the truth have a frightful future appointment with the God of truth and they will answer to him. If you uh, are, uh, would be encouraged to just take the courage to seek and to receive the truth because God has revealed it and it will set you free. You may be shunned, you may be threatened, you may even have horrible lies told about you, but God knows the truth about you and he'll bless those who honestly seek and embrace the truth. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.